why would I want a fast-acting thyroid and a really quick metabolism if the rest of my hormones are telling my body I'm starving? So even if you have a thyroid problem, if you're working on it and it's not getting better, it's because they're missing the interplay with adrenals. And definitely your sex hormones are part of that too, and you can't overlook it. Thyroid issues play with cortisol and play with estrogen because they all work together. The question becomes, what if I take thyroid hormone? So if you take thyroid hormone, whether it's Synthroid or whether you take compounded T3 or maybe you're on Armour, NP thyroid, it's all about whether that receptor works, right? So it's all about whether that receptor is really working and whether that action is really happening. And so you have to look at those and compare and see. And often you have to go to the most primary problem first. So most people get put on thyroid med. So they get put on thyroid med and they're like, yay, I'm going to feel better. My hair's going to grow back. It may or may not. Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you, who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get thriving. Welcome back to This Functional Life. And let's talk about those 12 myths about weight gain in women over 40. We've already gone through one through six. Now we're going to go seven through nine. So today we're going to talk about the interplay between those other major hormones. So if you haven't gone back and listened to the first two episodes where I really go through what's different about women, especially as we hit our 40s and 50s, and particularly about our hormones and how it may play a role, particularly in weight gain, go back and listen to those because they are very fundamental. But I'm going to go and take a higher look right now because we're going to go from this down into a more cellular look in the next podcasts. So let's talk more today about the hormones and how they interplay with each other. So you will remember when I was talking on the other two podcasts, I was talking a lot about how the hormones are a symphony. So think of it this way. The hormones are a symphony. We have a director of the show and we have a conductor. The director is your hypothalamus. Your hypothalamus is in the brain and it takes in information from all over the place. So it takes it in from the senses, takes it in from things that you experience and see, it takes it in from your thoughts, the chemicals circulating. So it's capturing all the data. And so the hypothalamus says, hey, this is what I want the show to look like. This is how I want it to feel. This is the ambiance I want. And then it talks directly to the pituitary. And the pituitary is ultimately the conductor of your symphony. And so between the two of them, they pass hormones back and forth to set up what the body should be up to. And so the pituitary as the conductor is the one that's actually talking to the different endocrine glands, the pancreas, the ovaries, the thyroid. So they, it has instructions it's going to give to each one, the adrenals even. So the pituitary is the one that's really having a conversation. And so we're going to cover the other major hormones that are at play when we see weight gain, particularly in women, not that men can't experience this, because we know if you listen to my last podcast that the change in estrogen, the actions of androgens like testosterone and progesterone cause weight gain and cause dysregulation of another hormone, insulin, and they play together pretty heavily. But there are other major hormones that can cause problems. And most of you have probably heard about that. 
If you've ever heard about adrenal fatigue, excess cortisol, cortisol-related insulin resistance, the other hormones like your hormones made by your pancreas, your things like insulin, glucagon, and thyroid. So we're going to talk about those major hormones today and talk about how they all play together. So the first thing that you have to remember as a woman, if you're in your 40s or late 30s and things are starting to get squirrely with your hormones and maybe you're in your 50s and above and they've kind of petered out and you've got sort of hormone exhaustion from the sex hormone standpoint, you can't ignore those hormones because they are fundamental to who we are as females because they actually make us female. So the estrogen actually is what causes the development of breasts and you know curvy hips. So we can't ignore those hormones. However, these other ones are major at play. So I want to talk first about the major hormone cortisol and adrenal hormones for stress. So pretty much everybody, if you've had any social media on or watched any TV for the last 10, 15 years, you've heard that excess cortisol or stress chemistry causes weight gain. And it does. However, it's not quite that cut and dry because if you were to look at the research, yes, it can cause insulin resistance, but it's also the loss of adrenal function and cortisol that can also drive some things too. And often we use the words adrenal fatigue, but that's not truly what's happening. What's happening is a dysregulation of your stress chemistry that is being driven by the hypothalamus and the pituitary trying to normalize your band. Your band is playing wildly. So I am using the symphony uh, analogy. I like to talk about the adrenals being the percussion. So the percussion is the ones that, you know, set the speed, the tone, you know, they really, really are fundamental to like the underlying musical effects. So if you have a band that has drums that are playing wild tribal music, but everybody else thinks they're playing a waltz, we've got a problem. So your adrenals get told by the hypothalamus and the pituitary to go. They send off corticotropin hormones and other hormones that talk to the adrenals and say, I need to respond to stress. Now, it often gets said that we are in a chronic fight or flight, and that's our problem. That's not true. So fight or flight is a very short-lived, extreme response to extreme stress. If we were caught in fight or flight all the time, our literally our head would probably explode because it would cause damage to the neurons and the central nervous system. So what's really happening is we have a fight or flight event, right? So if I'm talking to you on the phone and let's say a car bashes into this wall, I'm going to have a fight or flight experience. I'm going to jump up. I'm going to try and get away from it. I'm not thinking about that. I'm not analyzing that. It's a knee-jerk reaction controlled by hormones like epinephrine and norepinephrine and adrenaline. And those hormones are what cause that response. However, behind that response, cortisol sort of rushes in to buffer the extremeness of that response and to continue the stress response. So at first, cortisol is actually a positive thing. The problem is, is cortisol is designed to respond to stress and then to go away. So if we were to look at animals on the Serengeti, they're going to run from a predator. So, so let's say there's a lion out on the Serengeti and it sees a wildebeest or a group of wildebeests. The wildebeests are going to see it. The lion's going to start running and they're going to take off in a full sprint. At that moment, they are fight and flight. As they keep running and running and running and they hope they're not the slowest one because all they need is one slow one for the lion to catch it. And then the rest of them are safe, right? So as they keep running and running, so as that fight or flight moves into a longer protracted stress response, cortisol kicks in. 
And so cortisol is there to also help you mobilize sugar. So the body's going to dump sugar out of the muscle cells in the form of glycogen. And then it's also there to help with insulin to get glucose out of the liver so you can respond to that stressor. So the body's mobilizing fuel. So excess cortisol is going to drive insulin levels up and it's going to drive the mobilization of glucose because the body thinks you're running. It is true that the only time you're going to see high cortisol in an animal, any animal, I don't care what animal it is, is when they're starving because it's designed to keep the animal from let's say sleeping whenever they do. So let's say rats, most of them are nocturnal animals. So if you see a rat out during the middle of the day, chances are it is probably starving because it's foraging in a time period that's outside of its norm. So cortisol in an animal excessively high is driving a hunger behavior to get them to forage so they don't starve. That brings me to an interesting question. For those of us who live our lives in a Western world, and even if you're pretty Zen, you're still not Zen enough, I would bet. We are living a life where our body's responding and our stress that we allow our lives to have is driving this sort of starving on the Serengeti chemistry. Cortisol, when it's excessive, is going to drive insulin resistance. It's going to drive insulin resistance that then makes the cells incapable of using glucose appropriately because it's going to store fat first. Because in the world, in the wild, High cortisol means starving and starving means store fat. And then I'm going to get hyperinsulinemia after meals because I've got this going on. So I'm going to respond with more insulin than what I need. Even if I had good regulatory control to, for, to begin with, now I'm not, I'm going to be resistant and hyperinsulinemic. And so it's going to cause weight gain, particularly around the middle. We get a lot of interaction with the fat around the abdomen, particularly under the muscle. So we get more visceral fat, which makes us more insulin resistance, which makes us more inflamed, which makes us make more cortisol. So cortisol absolutely is fat gaining hormone. What's interesting, and I see this all the time, is I see women in their 40s, 50s, and beyond that have been living a high-stress lifestyle since they were 10, myself included. And what's happened is they've gone through making a lot and maybe having some good regulation in the beginning when they were younger so they can make it when they need it and they can stop when they don't and they sort of go up and down. And cortisol has a diurnal rhythm. So as you wake up in the morning, it's going to come up and peak mid-morning and it should ski slope down and be low at night. And that's how it should work, right? So we have a rhythm during the day and then we have a rhythm to our stress response. But most of us are stressed out all the time. We're not sleeping. We're eating haphazardly. We're doing too many things. We don't own our no. We have no boundaries. Work's too much. Kids too much. Taking care of parents too much. All of that starts to drive excess cortisol. So we start seeing abnormal patterns. So this is where the adrenal fatigue conversation used to come in. It might be low in the morning and then high at night. So you can't get to sleep. Or it might be high all the time. And anybody that's ever taken prednisone in most cases, if it wasn't too much, you actually felt like you could get a lot done because you're basically riding on all the stress chemistry that your body has. Cortisol gets dysregulated. So the slope is no longer correct. And that would be kind of stage two of adrenal dysregulation. And the technical term of what's going on here is hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access problems. The body through the hypothalamus and the pituitary are talking to the adrenals and they're trying to calm things down. So they're trying to change the message. So everything can get kind of copacetic with the other players in the band. It gets dysregulated first. And that dysregulation would be like phase two. It's no longer properly working and you usually get sleep disruption, hunger problems, the afternoon crash. 
What I often see, and I've gone through this myself, is I I lived in stage two and I could kind of make it through that for a long time. But then I got to stage three. Stage three is I'm no longer producing enough free cortisol, right? So free is out and available. It has a taxi cab, kind of like the sex hormones, and it gets out and runs around. Well, that's only 5% of your cortisol. So it gets out and runs around and then it gets metabolized. So when somebody's at stage three, the free cortisol drops. So it's low. So I'm not producing enough deal with it every day. And then the metabolized cortisol, the actual activity itself, because free can fluctuate. So free could be different every day, every hour, but metabolized, I made it, I've let it free and now I've used it and I'm going to kind of get it wrapped up to get rid of. Metabolized will tell you what your overall production is. And when metabolized cortisol is way too high, it's going to be a problem. And when metabolized cortisol is way too low, it's going to be a major problem. So when metabolized cortisol is way too high, we can actually see problems with blocking of the thyroid hormone at the receptor on the cell. Because again, you got to remember cortisol and adrenal hormones are primary to our survival. They say starvation. They rule a roost. The other hormones are merely luxuries. And so at that point, it's telling the body I'm starving. So if my free cortisol is high, it's going to say I'm starving. And if my metabolized cortisol is high, it's going to say I'm starving. Once they all kind of peter out, the problem is, is you've got a hormone system and a receptor system that is now primed for insulin resistance. and It expects cortisol, but can't have it. So basically what you have is you have a leftover where the body is still operating with the same metabolic imbalance that it's going to store fat first, but your overall production of cortisol is too low for you to deal with the crap of every day. So what does it feel like? This is the woman and or man, but I'm mostly speaking to women. So let's go ahead and talk it up here. So you're going to feel wired and tired. You're going to lay down to go to sleep and you can't sleep. And it feels like Groundhog Day because every day is just like yesterday. You're going to have a short fuse. So little things that wouldn't have bothered you before set you off. You have no patience for anybody. And you feel like you're grinding your gears. Your interest in sex will be non-existent. If it was positive before, it definitely isn't there now. You have no deal with it chemistry, but you've got the metabolic effect of having had high cortisol for a long time. Because if you look in the literature, they'll say the loss of cortisol like that we see in Addison's, which is, is a autoimmune disease where the body's attacking the adrenals and you can no longer make cortisol. You see rapid weight loss, but that's because the person wasn't dealing with an insulin resistance cortisol interchange that's probably been going on for 30 years. So that's not true for the woman that had it and is now losing control of it because you got to remember it's the hypothalamus and the pituitary that are doing that. It's not that the adrenals can't make it. It's the the adrenals are choosing not to based on what the representation coming from the pituitary and the hypothalamus is saying. The other thing that gets said often is that this is a progesterone steal. So the adrenals make your cortisol and and your adrenaline, and they also make progesterone. And it's different parts of the adrenal glands that do that. But progesterone is progest, help me get pregnant, keep a baby. So if I'm starving on the Serengeti and I don't have enough stress chemistry and the world isn't safe, do you think our body will want you to get pregnant? Hell no. So a lot of times the fertility issues people run into may very well be related to their stress response because what will happen is progesterone will get downregulated. We won't make enough. Our periods might get wonky or we may have non-existent periods like polycystic ovarian syndrome when it's very extreme. And I will have fertility issues. And it's not that progesterone is getting stolen to get made into cortisol. It's that the body's sending it down a different pathway. And so those two play together. If I'm a 40-year-old woman 
and I already have progesterone getting a little wild, not working properly, probably losing some of that function. I've been living my life like a Westerner. And so my cortisol has been high, but maybe it's getting dysregulated now and I can't sleep and I feel wired and tired. I'm going to be in an estrogen dominant state because my progesterone is being downregulated by my hypothalamus and my pituitary. So it's not going to function. Now I've got estrogen dominance because of my time period of life. And if I'm postmenopausal, I have no estrogen, which is still a big problem. And now all those other hormones are out of whack. So my stress and my adrenal function must be addressed. This is a big point because I run into this all the time because people get told these very simplified ways of losing weight, eat less, work out more, eat low carb, high protein, or eat ketogenic, do high intensity, and then weight training, maybe yes, maybe no. And then as a woman, you'll lose weight. But they're overlooking these other hormones that are at play. And they, they rule the roost. Your body, you can eat 800 calories and burn 1,200 and not lose a single pound because we are not a bank account. We are a chemistry lab, and it's the hormones that control how that happens. The stress hormones are a huge player. You cannot overlook it, and particularly if you have thyroid issues. So cortisol, again, is saying, I'm starving, whether it's too high or too low, and how I metabolize it may be blocking the thyroid hormone, even if you're on medication even if you're on medication. I don't care how much you take. If the key doesn't fit the lock because you've got somebody that broke another key off in the lock, it ain't going to work, which brings me to the other home runs, right? So adrenals are your band percussion. Now let's go to thyroid. So thyroid, everybody thinks there's always a thyroid problem. Everybody thinks there's always a thyroid problem. And often there is, but it's not that simple. It really is the interplay between the thyroid hormone, cortisol, and whether it's actually getting its action. And you got to remember if my adrenals are playing tribal music and my thyroid thinks it needs to be playing a waltz, the body is going to, through the pituitary and the hypothalamus, it's going to downregulate thyroid. Why would I want a fast-acting thyroid and a really quick metabolism if the rest of my hormones are telling my body I'm starving. So even if you have a thyroid problem, if you're working on it and it's not getting better, it's because they're missing the interplay with adrenals. And definitely your sex hormones are part of that too. And you can't overlook it. So thyroid issues play with cortisol and play with estrogen because they all work together. The question becomes, what if I take thyroid hormone? So if you take thyroid hormone, whether it's Synthroid or whether you take your uh, compounded T3, or maybe you're on armor, NP thyroid, it's all about whether that receptor works, right? So it's all about whether that receptor is really working and whether that action is really happening. And so you have to look at those and compare and see. And often you have to go to the most primary problem first. So most people get put on thyroid med. So they get put on thyroid med and they're like, yay, I'm going to feel better. My hair's going to go back. It may or may not. Right. Because again, it's all about that key working. And so just getting the medication on there is short sighted and missing the point. We have to get the other hormones working. So that's the other major thing. Thyroid's going to play, but it's going to be an interplay with all these other ones. And then I want to get to the other major hormones, insulin and what the liver is up to. So when we look at our control hormones for our metabolic activities of burning of fat and burning of sugar, we have insulin whose job is to help you basically take glucose to the cell to burn. And then we have its ability to make fat. We also have glucagon, which is the hormone that drives the liver to make glucose out of amino acids, which would be proteins, gluconeogenesis. And we also have the hormone leptin, which leptin is made by our fat cells and talks directly to the brain and tells us whether or not to store fat or not. 
And we have all of those hormones that sort of play together. So we know that insulin is playing a role, but we also know that there's some other things that changes in women. So this was really fascinating because again, I keep looking at it and going, well, if it's so damn simple and it's so linear, then why do women like myself have so much trouble? Because when you read the research, it's very linear. But again, they're looking primarily at men or they're looking at young people that don't have the same problems as women as we go through our 40s and 50s. What happens is as we have that change in estrogen, most of us are insulin resistant because again, our stress chemistry is at play. So I've got you know a, a inherited misuse of insulin. The other thing is, is, is the liver starts to produce more glucose. And I see this a lot in women. And I talked a little bit about it in uh, MIS 1 and 2 and 3, that what happens is we get primed to do a thing called gluconeogenesis. So that's a fancy way of saying producing glucose out of the liver so our body can utilize it as fuel. Because we could take every carbohydrate out of our diet and our body could produce glucose and will produce glucose because we have cells like our red blood cells that can't survive without it. However, there should be a control around it. It should only be a little bit. But what happens is as women, the change in estrogen actually affects the activity of gluconeogenesis and we see an increase in it. So women, guess what? If your body's making glucose and putting it out into the bloodstream, guess what it's not doing? It's not mobilizing adiponectin, which is the fat mobilization hormone to get the fat out of the fat cells. And so they work on seesaws. And so the problem is, is the body's just going to make glucose, throw it into the bloodstream. We're going to make insulin. We're going to use it. So our body literally has fat cells locked up because it'll just make glucose. And this is happening again and again. And the research shows that it's the change in estrogen and particularly the estrogen receptors in the liver that may be playing some of this role. So the control of insulin and your metabolic hormones are all going to interplay with those other hormones. And you cannot, cannot ignore those. Which brings me to a really good point, because a lot of times when I see women, they've had a little bit done. Maybe they're working on their thyroid, or maybe they're working on their sex hormones, or they've been told they're, they've got adrenal fatigue, and maybe some, nobody's really pulled this all together. And it's because we have a certain thing going on. We have a primary hormonal imbalance that's driving it. So for some people, it may be their adrenals and their inability to control and manipulate that hormone pathway appropriately. And a lot of times it's because we're doing crap in our lifestyle that we just got to quit doing, right? You can't work 15 hours a day and sleep five hours a night and burn the candle at both ends and make everybody else happy and expect your body to be able to do that for decades on end, right? So we have to do the lifestyle stuff. We have to do the food stuff, which is a whole nother conversation. We have to do those lifestyle pieces because we cannot pill around a bad lifestyle. We have a primary problem. It may be adrenal. For somebody else, it might be a primary thyroid problem that may be playing a role. Right. That may be the most dominant imbalance in my band. Maybe I have a wind section, your thyroid, that are playing off key and, you know, just getting crazy. Who knows? For another person, it may actually be just the change in sex hormones and how wildly off they may be. Maybe they were diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome or something like that when they were younger and now they've got some of that problem. Or maybe they are either in menopause and it's completely petered out, or they're in perimenopause and it's all over the place. So that primary hormonal imbalance is driving it. The secondary one is going to be the change in sex hormones. And you can't, like I said, ignore it. And that's what I was finding in the literature and the research is that everybody's sort of looking at their silo. And sometimes that's because how we actually do research. We want one condition we're looking at or one symptom. We want one acting item and one outcome. 
But if we were that simple, we'd just be a single switch for everything and we'd either turn the switch on and off. But all these things interact with each other, which is the basis of functional medicine. Functional medicine says we're systems of biology and our biology is made up of systems and they all work together. Matter of fact, you can't even look at your sex hormones without looking at what your gut's doing with them, which is actually where my dissertation is resides is looking at the interplay between our hormones and our gut microbiome. So you can't even overlook that. So we are a system that works together. So we've got to look at kind of an area of priority. What's out of balance first? And what do I need to fix? Because it's not so simple as I'm just going to fix your thyroid. It's not so simple as I'm just going to add hormones. It's not so simple that I'm just going to make you more insulin sensitive by taking all the carbs out of your life. Because I can tell you, most women aren't going to do that long-term. Because what we have is we lose that metabolic flexibility when these things are messed up. So we have to know what your dominant hormone problem is and then what your secondary hormone problem is, which for some women may just be the changes in estrogen and, or the loss of estrogen and all the other sex hormones. Sometimes it's part of it, but you can't overlook it. So most people now are thinking, gosh, it sounds like I have all those problems. And you probably do to some degree, honestly, because again, you can't look at one without the other one being affected. Just want to let you know, I have a quiz and the quiz is designed to help you figure out that dominant hormone imbalance. Because most of the time over the last 17 years where I was working with people, I could start getting a good idea of what was going on. I mean, I, I definitely have a test, don't guess sort of attitude. I like to know what's really happening. I'm a scientist. So I want to see data because I think with the right data and armed with the right values and looking at the right paradigm, the right thing, we can get to the answer more quickly and we can fix the underlying problems and we can maintain it. I don't want to just help somebody lose weight or help them balance their hormones or help their immune system work better. I want to get it fixed and help them keep it fixed, right? So I'm a data girl, but I found that a lot of times that I could ask a lot of questions about symptoms and start getting pretty close to guessing my way to what's really wrong. So this quiz is designed to help you figure out what your major hormone imbalance is, and how to really start to navigate what's really happening. If you want to take this quiz, all you got to do is go to hormonereset.net and you'll see a big button on the left-hand side that says, take the hormone quiz. It'll take like two minutes, but it'll help you figure out that primary hormone imbalance. And that will help you figure out what's missing. Because if you are down this road and you're working with somebody and you're not getting to the right answer and you're not getting the right outcome, it's because we're just missing a piece of it or more than one piece. But we need to address it and figure out what's going on. Okay, everybody. I hoped you enjoyed myth seven, eight, and nine. So we can't overlook the adrenal impact, the impact of the thyroid, and the impact of the liver and particularly the metabolic hormones and how they interplay with all your other hormones and controlling whether your body can lose fat or store fat. Welcome to Brain Candy. Thank you for listening. Have a healthy and happy day. Thank you so much for tuning into this functional life. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chat 
chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.